Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Um, this is the last of our classes for at least now. Um, I, it's, possible, it's possible that I will continue teaching in a Parsha class after the high holidays. Um, sans you just want to pick Shapiro. it up when they get good again. Sans Rabbi Shapiro. No, I, I believe I was not the one who said, let's stop this class. I would have done it. I know, but you're just going to pick it. You're not going to soldier through Dvarim. Well, I just, there's so many weeks that if I'm alone, I wouldn't be able to do it. So if I'm, if I'm not doing it with you, I probably should just start after the high holidays when I'll be around. With Um, or without. So we are in Parashat. Korach. Ah, Korach. Brings uh, a claim against the leadership of Moshe um, and interspersed through this narrative. It's, it's a little difficult to track if you happen to be, not, not pointing any fingers here, if you happen to be one of the people who thinks that sometimes the Torah consists of stories that have kind of been stitched together, Korach definitely seems to be one of them because there is the rebellion of Korach there is also the rebellion of Datan and Aviram, um, and th- they are parallel to each other, but there are also some some sort of uh, parts that don't quite line up right. But Korach is the ringleader. We'll go with that. Uh, and onward we go. Rise up against Moshe, along with 250 other uh, leaders, right? Nisiei Ha'eda. Um, and they all combine against Moses and Aaron, and they make this claim. This would have been the verse that we talked about today, except uh, I, I picked the other one that I shot suggested. Um, and they say, Rav Lachem, you have gone too far. Uh, for all of this people, Kulam Kedoshim, everyone in this uh, community is holy. Um, and has God within their midst, why must you, why are you uh, raising yourselves against us? Which, on its face, interesting point, Korach and company. Um, but as, as the rabbis say, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Uh, and there seems to be some, some ego, some arrogance, some lack of humility, and not just the claim itself, but in how it is presented, right? If you want to, if you want to register a a complaint you don't generally you know get a get a sort of roving gang with you to go protest the, the way in which it's being handled not the best way of handling conflicts uh contrary to what some people might seem to think these days okay anyway moving on uh moses hears this he falls on his face ouch speaks to korah and all of his company saying uh well we'll see uh we'll see God will make known what's going to happen, who is the leader and who is holy. And so here's, we're going to have a, a fire pan off and a fire pan off. Take your fire pan, bring the incense before God and whoever God chooses, that will be, that, that will be who is holy. And he sort of tosses it back at them. He says, Rav Lachem B'nai Levi. No, it's not, I'm not Rav Lachem. You are Rav Lachem. Uh, and Moses says further, um, sort of, for uh, rebutting their point, don't you have enough? You're you're already 
in, an, in a position of elevated leadership, right? Scrolling back up for a second, we know from this that Korach himself is a son of Levi, right? He's already amongst the elevated class of those who serve God. Um, isn't this enough for you um, that you have these uh, these duties? Um, you're amongst these Leviim, so so why are you seeking out even more than you already have? Um, it's not just that you're you're claiming leadership; it is against God that you and your company are being together. Um, why are you bringing this to us? Um, and then here there's sort of this sub piece where Moshe sends for Datan and Aviram in terms of how these stories are stitched together. Isn't it enough? Um, oh, sorry. They say to him, um, you brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey, right? Inverting what we would say about Eretz Kanaan, referring to Egypt as a land flowing with milk and honey, which is generally not what's happening there, to die in the wilderness. And even if you had brought us out, um, should you gouge out the eyes of those who are involved? Very aggressive imagery. We will not come. Moshe was upset and begs God, please don't, uh, you know, pay attention to what they're saying. I haven't wronged them. Uh, this, this ain't on me. Moses then sort of goes back to Korach. So you can see in how this is laid out, right? There's Moses going to Korach. There's Moses going to Tanav. Moses desperately trying to keep everything together. Goes back to Korach. All right, tomorrow you're going to bring this incense. Um, you and, and these folks who's, who rose up along with you. Um, and sort of setting the stage, they each do this. They bring it to the tent of meeting as the Moshe and Aaron. Korach then brings everybody together, gathers the whole community against them. God appears and speaks to Moses and Aaron saying, stand back from the from this group, from this community, that I may annihilate them in an instant. Big dramatic moment is the verse, the final version for now of exploring the Parsha with Rabbi Rebecca Chen and Rabbi Ness. Okay, chapter 16, verse 22. Close that up. Uh, they fell on their faces and they said, El Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar. God, God, I'll, I'll read the translation and, and sort of then go back into what it might mean in Hebrew. Oh God, source of the breath of all flesh. Haish Echad Yecheta. This one person who sins, the Alkol Haidatik Tzof. Will you be wrathful with the whole? This this verse, God says, I'm going to smite this whole group. And Moses and Aaron say back to God, this interesting way in which they're referring to God, asking this question that, like, without priming the pump too much, ebbs and flows throughout Tanakh, the sense of individual versus collective responsibility, um, which is an interesting one. Um, and also hearkening back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this idea of prayer uh, within the Torah, right? We talked about Moses' prayer for Miriam, and here is a, a different type of prayer in a different type of situation, but um, might be interesting, depending on where we go, to compare and or contrast those two. All right. So let's look at verse 22 for some kushiot, some questions. On this verse, none. We're going to end this podcast with no questions. Give him a second. 
What what's so God's source? They're waking up. Yeah, Karen, go ahead. The more I think about all this, the less I understand. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Especially at this part of the Torah, that makes sense. So first of all, he's a Levite, right? That's a priest. Right? A little bit different than a priest. A Kohen is a priest. No, I know that, but and Levite, all right. Why is he rebelling? Why is why is he why are they rebelling? Because Moses is like too big for his britches. Great, great. Um so who knows? Great. So why why the rebellion? You know, what what what's the what's the reason behind it, maybe the impetus behind it, right? What's why why and why now, right? And and kind of what's the ego behind him needing to needing to rebel? I'll just um, I don't have an answer to that question. I'll just I'll just um, mention that it's if you read the the first few verses about the rebellion, it also doesn't seem so crazy as as a statement of rebellion, right? Like it doesn't actually seem so dramatic and so um, antithetical to Moshe and Aharon's leadership. It actually just sounds a little bit like they want answers to why they're not. Um, being asked to be part of what's going on and it escalates very quickly <laughs> so I've never really understood not only why the rebellion but but why why is it such a big deal to become a rebellion why can't it just be that they had a they had a question and and they could have just been answered um in maybe a more communal way hold on hold on you just said why they couldn't be part of what's going on yeah what was going on? Oh, just meaning like, here, Rabbi Shabir, can you scroll up to the top just so we can actually look at, see the verses that I just mentioned? Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, down a little bit. To rise up against Moses. Yeah, but if Rabbi Shapiro scrolls down a little, which I don't have control over his computer, so I can't do it. Okay, great. Um, that's good. Um, right, but then it says, right, you have gone too far for all the community are holy, all of them, and God is in their midst. Why then do you rise yourselves above God's congregation? It's actually a really great question, right? It's a it's a good question for leadership as to like why why are you putting yourselves above us? So I guess what I'm trying what what I was saying yes. is who's the why are you? Who's the you? And well, they're the making there are you and us, right? There that is something that they are they are creating and that's part of my question is why? Why couldn't it just continue to be one one community kind of under under motion our own? Yeah. Maybe we should have talked about this first Rabbi Shots. <laughs> Maybe. Part of the reason uh, by the way that I didn't go with this first is I'm I am drashing at the library minion and it it touches on something I'm talking about in terms of leadership and humility and self-reflection so right just saying um renee okay so wait where did that verse go 22 yeah we can go back okay so one thing what is why does it say oh god source it never i've never seen that word thrown in anything source and also um it seems like they're challenging God by saying, oh, well, when one person sins, are you really going to be mean to the, or to the, or get back to the whole community for just one person sinning? I know that's come up before, but it's still in this 
Pasuk uh, challenging God. And right, so it's the, age old, it's the age old question in the classroom of why if he did that, are we all being punished? Right. Um, which maybe Rabbi Shapiro can speak to a little bit better than I can. Um, and then in terms of source, the idea, the idea of source is actually, I don't, I can't speak for sure to JPS's translation, but in Brashit, very often the idea of Ruach Elohim is used. I don't know that they use the word source for that. Um, but just this idea of Ruchot Lechol Basar, um, kind of, it says here the breath, the breath of all flesh. Um, but it's being kind of connected to, uh, this idea of being the source of all life. So I, I, I get I don't think it's a great translation. I mean, the idea of God as a source of life, you'll see sometimes. I don't think this is a particularly, uh, I mean, and you're like, here's a little note. Right. So literally God, right? It's because yeah, yeah. El is God and Elohei Haruchot is God of the breath of all flesh. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, not a great translation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Denise and then Joanna. So <clears throat> I feel like, the way that he did it tells us why it was a problem. Because suppose <clears throat> suppose I want to teach a Parsha class. If I come up to you guys and I'm like, hey, you know, why are you and Rabbi Shapiro always teaching the class? And like, you know, we have input too. And, and Karen always has a comment. And I'm going to bring Renee with me. And why don't we all just come up and we want to be the teacher too. Okay, I'd say that that's a be... really good idea. You're probably right. <laughs> okay, so that would be one approach. Versus if I would go either to you individually or to who's ever in charge at Betham of creating these classes, and I come with a lesson plan and an outline, and I'm like, okay, I've been thinking about this idea for a while, and here's what I want to share, and how can we make this happen? And mm-hmm. so, you know what I mean? Because in one scenario it's just all about the ego it's me 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 I want I want I want and the other scenario it's about what do I have to contribute mm-hmm. and Korach wasn't contributing anything other than Korach great great so th- yeah and I'm, I'm not gonna spend too much time on that because it's a different verse than the one that we're focused on I know I was the person who brought it up so I, I take the blame for that um but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it is definitely, and maybe this is what Rabbi Shapiro is talking about a little bit in his drash, you know, there's different ways of assuming leadership. There's also different ways of asking leadership for permission or respect or opportunity. Um, so for sure. And I think that, um, I think here, if we're going to connect it back to the verse that we're looking at today, right? One, if, if we wanted to, if we wanted to compare the two, um, here it's God at the helm, right? And Moshe and Aaron um, are kind of, quote, underneath, right? Whereas in in the uh, verse above, we're talking about Korach and his people going up against Moshe and Aaron. So it is it is interesting that in these two different places, we're, we're looking at two different types of relationship of leadership. Um, Joanna. Oh, I think you're muted or we can't hear you for some reason. Sorry, better. I, my unmute was stuck. I think we're about good now. Yeah, yeah. Um, just in terms of um, trying to understand what's going on with Korach, mm-hmm. if we look at verses two and three, right? So verse two is introduced with the with the verb vayakumu. Then we get like who that involved, but to me vayakumu goes with vayika 
Alu in the next verse, and it's Al Moshe. Mm -hmm. And that preposition Al there, I think, is very telling because what if the preposition was with and not over or on, right? So it seems to to suggest that they weren't standing with Moshe. Mm -hmm. They weren't gathering with Moshe, but they were standing over him, somehow opposed to him. And, you know, um, and so I wonder, you know, trying to sort of dig under the text a little bit and, you know, to your point of not only what you say, but how you say it, if that starts to get to some of the how of what's happening here. Yeah, I think that goes to Denise's point very nicely. Um, just, you know, the way in which we're being told that this happened shows shows directly the kind of, um, I don't know, intensity around around that that assuming of um, leadership, but also the 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 way in which they went about trying to get some um, I don't know some some authority uh, against that the current leaders. Uh, Mike, go ahead, and then we're going to get back to this verse here. Hey, Rabbi Shatz, maybe we should have picked the other verse. Sure. It seems like people like that verse. I like this verse, but I see I'm losing my, I'm losing my touch. That's why. I'm <laughs> All right, that's right. The class is ending. No, okay. Um, you know when it's exactly uh, right. Uh, when when the when one member sins, the the wrath will be with the whole community. I, I I'm going. I'm wondering about the uh, in Judaism we value argument. Okay, I believe. And so uh, we argue as Jews. And so it isn't that. No, we don't. No, we don't. Okay. No, you're supposed to argue back. Maybe we, I mean, some Jews value argument unless they. No, they don't. (laughs) You're supposed to argue back. Ah. Yeah, okay. Okay. I value argument. Okay. I don't care. If you don't value argument, but I'm I value argument. Now, if you want to argue with me, I'll be fine with that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but, you know, often in this, um, I would just like to bring up the issue of of um, an argument for the sake of heaven versus an argument not for the sake of heaven. And and uh, I don't know that 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 addresses verse 22, but. If you have someone who is trying to say that we're all holy, why do you set yourselves above it? And yet he is, is in a sense, setting himself above Moses. The question becomes, is his argument um, a more, uh, more valid or the way that if he presents it in a way that is, um, not for the sake of heaven, then it sort of becomes like a power play on his point, and it, it mm. doesn't really involve the truth. And then uh, the other pe- the people that follow him, then they're they they've been sort of uh, um, hoodwinked, I guess, uh, mm. uh, to uh, in that situation, and I guess then they're guilty by association. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have us get back to this verse that Rabbi Shapiro chose. Mike, uh, do you know, do you know how astute that is? Is that what you're talking about tomorrow? No. Oh, 
Um, the argument of Korach is specifically cited as the yeah. definitional example of an of a machlok at lo l'shem shemayim. That like that that's considered the paradigmatic example of an argument that is not for the sake of heaven. Did you know that? Well, I was wondering. Okay, can, uh, if I like at the beginning in the Eitz Chaim, there's a explanatory part at the beginning of the parsha, uh, and it talks about um, uh, a uh, it, it talks about a, a midrash in uh, uh, Bamidbar. Uh, Rabbah 13, 18.3, and it talks about, it says here, uh, he, he characterized the rituals, uh, he characterized the rituals of, of the Torah in an extreme form. So then he said something, and it says here, does a library full of Torah scrolls require, require a mezuzah on the doorpost? Does a completely blue talit require the blue thread added to CC. So he was challenging. It says Korach was challenging not only Moses and Aaron's authority, but that of the Torah and ultimately that of God. Right. That's that's the midrash that's getting into Korach's argument. But this is out of Pirkei Avot, right? So and and this is if you look here, the concept of a machloket l'shem shemayim. This is one of the, if not the oldest sources we have about what that is, and the concept of Korach's argument against Moses and Aaron is given as the paradigmatic example of an argument that is not for the sake of heaven. So you are all over it, Mike. Okay. Yasher Koach. Nailed it. Right? Right Right to me? You're saying right to me? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Over to you. That's why I was muted. You don't don't want to talk about... Well, I don't think people want to talk about the verse that I picked anyway, it seems. They like your verse better. And you as a person. Uh, great. Well, I did not prepare the verse that we didn't choose. So oh. I'm happy to shoot from the hips. <laughs> but but maybe we can talk about the thing that we prepared for glass. Okay. That's fine. Um, I'm going to pick up on... What do I want to do? Is always a good question. Um, I did find this idiosyncratic meme for God interesting, but I want to pick up on um, I think the name for God is interesting. I think the concept of falling on faces is interesting. Um, I think I think both of those are interesting pieces to pick up on, but for, for now, I'll, I'll start at the end. A very good place to start um, in terms of the way that the back end of the verse is structured. So the first piece is, I mean, I named this when I was um, marking through the verse, just this, this sense that um, what is the role of the individual and what is the role of the group in terms of who holds a responsibility? And I mean, we didn't, we didn't get into what happens afterwards, but people are given the option of stepping back before God, I mean, God does smite some people, Torah, God often smites, um, but God does give people the option of stepping away um, before just going in and, and smiting. Um, and there are examples in the Torah of where that option isn't given. Um, you know, think 
Avraham outside Stone and Amara, right? That if Abraham's trying to bargain with God, right? The famous story, what if there are 50 <clears throat> righteous people, 40, 30, right? All the way around to 10. And God still says, no, no, no. Um, but here, it actually seems to be the inverse of that, right? God, God gives um, another chance for the people to change their minds, which, which has not always been the case, it seems. Um, so that's interesting. It's, that's a thought one that came to mind. Um, and the other one is, is more grammatical in nature, as everyone knows. I'm a huge grammar nerd. That's, that's always my go-to in these classes. Um, but the way that this is written here, ha'ish echad yecheta, um, it's written in the future tense. I'll get to what Dr. Zioni Zevit would yell at me about in a second, but in conventional Hebrew, that's in the future tense. And so it is interesting, um, that this, that this person, um, presumably Korah, who's being referred to, although not by name, this person who will sin and then all of the people will be punished. Well, are we judging this person by what they have done or what they might do? Um, and also to cite, um, a famous text about um, uh, going back to Abraham's story as well, in terms of Yishmael, when the angels see Yishmael doing stuff that seems questionable and they come before God and they say, um, you know, why are you letting this person continue? He's going to be in, you know, present problems for Israelites in the future. And God says, um, no, we only judge a person by where they are now, not by where they're going to be. Um, and yet here in this verse, well, or is this person being judged by what they might do or what they've actually done? Uh, what Dr. Zioni Zevet would be yelling about, yelling at me about right now is he would say, there's no such thing as, as past or present tense in the Torah. It's all about perfect or imperfect tense. Remember that, Rabbi Shantz? Remember that? Ah, that's fine. What? Yeah, she remembers. Give me a thumbs up. Uh, first time today. Finally got a thumbs up. It definitely was not a thumbs up experience for Rebecca Schatz because I am not great at grammar, but I do remember it very well and learned a lot from the man and he's brilliant and I like him a lot. But it, I would not say that it was a thumb up experience. Remember that little pamphlet we had to get, like the, the anterior crucial ligament of, of biblical I didn't have Hebrew. him for the same class you did. but You had to buy his little pamphlet. I'll find it. Um... Anyway, even if we're not talking about past or future, um, the idea of an imperfect verb is something that has not yet fully been completed. So the, the point isn't quite as sharp, but it still stands that if this isn't something that a person has fully sinned, if they haven't really done the thing yet, um, is that something for which someone should still be punished? Um, so that's that's more me. Riff. I, I have a couple of sources on other things, but in terms of the big questions that come to mind for me on this verse. So those are the two that, that most um, jump out. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if folks have thoughts on that. I don't know if that's clarifying in terms of why I just find this verse interesting and not only that other verse, um, but those were, were two of the big thematic pieces that jumped out at me. So I'll just pause talking for a second. Oh yeah, Denise. So I got a little lost. <laughs> Can you recap? I can try. 
thought number one, there's this dance between individual and collective responsibility. And Moses and Aaron seem to be saying to God, hey, God, it seems like this is mostly stemming from one person. Why would you punish everyone? And I was contrasting that with a sense that in the Torah sometimes it seems like even if it is just a small handful of folks, there can be collective punishment, right? So there's that interesting dance there. So that was thought number one. Thought number two, um, the role of what a person has done versus what they have not yet done. And if they are still deserving of punishment for something that they might yet do, as opposed to what they've done. Think a uh, minority report. We're doing, we're Tom Cruise heavy today, I guess. Hmm. Minority report. Uh, people see minority report? Yeah. Yeah, Mike saw minority report. Karen, did you see minority report? Did you like minority report, Karen? Yeah, she liked it. Okay. Very good. Um, right, the idea that you might be punished for something you haven't yet done. So those are my two thoughts. I don't know if that's clarifying, Denise, but those are the two thoughts that were pinging around in my brain. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to share a few things. My, the thing that I thought was most interesting about this verse, um, and maybe this is, maybe this is a little bit more theological than we typically go in this class. Um, but this just isn't the kind of God that I believe in. <laughs> um, this isn't the kind of God that I would call upon if I were in this situation. Um, when it says Panav, that means that he that that they prayed. Um, we know that from different moments of prayer earlier on in our Torah. So it's not. I mean, Rabbi Shreya was joking when he said "ouch." It doesn't physically mean that he actually fell on his face, but that he prostrated himself, just like we do on Yom Kippur. The, that this um, that this is a way of actual prayer and of and of approaching God, but I think the thing that really caught my eye this time was just this idea that if God is ruchot lechol basar, right, the, the literally the breath. Um, this is actually why I it, it's true that it's not a literal translation, but I like the idea of using source, right? That ruchot lechol basar means the breath within each person. It's like when we say nishmat kolchai, it's basically the same thing, right? That that the breath that is within each living thing. Nishmat kolchai. I haven't been to Shul in a long time. Thank you so much. We don't use that tune any longer, but but when you go to Shul, you'll feel uh You'll hear the, the other. Oh, time. well, if Beth Am doesn't use that tune consistently at Shoal, then it must not be sung. And it's not a tune that anyone can sing, because if Beth Am isn't doing it consistently, it doesn't count anymore. Tunes are eliminated unless they are regularly sung at Beth Am on Shabbat morning. Okay. Noted. Please strike from the record. So the idea, the idea of ruchot lechol basar implies, similar to the question that Mike just asked in the chat, that God is the ultimate everything, right? Not just ultimately merciful, but also the ultimate decider, the ultimate um, provider, the ultimate everything. Because just like we need breath to live, so too, if God is the source of everything, then all decisions that are being made, good and bad, are being caused by and decided by God. That is a theological um understanding that many people ascribe to and have and I have no judgment for those people it's not my belief in God that's not how I choose to connect 
and have relationship with God. But the thing that that I think is so interesting here is that then it continues to say, when one member sins, will you be wrathful with the whole community? Well, it seems to me that if you just said that God is all powerful, A, you know the answer to that question, and B, you should be the person who's actually taking it into your own hands to figure out what it means that, that this person, um, that this person sinned, right? That it, that if one person is sinning, will God be wrathful with the whole community? Well, it seems to be that God should only be wrathful for that, for that one person, right? If God, if God is all knowing. So, so that, that to me was kind of the, the, um, the dissonance that I felt in this verse, obviously with like a modern, a modern look on the verse itself. Um, I don't think that that's how it was understood back in the day. Um, Denise, I see your hand. I'm just going to show a few commentaries first. Um, so that before class is over, I get to do that. Um, so here Rashi says, Oh God, who knows the thoughts of every person, right? Your nature is not like that of human beings. You're an earthly king against whom part of the, an earthly king against whom part of the, their country commits an offense does not know who the sinner is. And therefore, when the king becomes angry, the king exacts punishment from all of them. Um, but you, before you, all human thoughts lie open and you know who is the sinner. Again, if you know who the sinner is, shouldn't you be able to just exactly point out who the sinner is and not everybody, right? Again, it's like the age-old uh, classroom question of, if you know who threw that piece of paper to at the teacher, why not just punish the student and not all the students? Okay, so Rashi doesn't seem to answer that question. He just seems to ask the same question um, with a little bit more, uh, I don't know, uplifting of God than, than I'm giving God at the moment. Um let me find just one more so we can get to Denise's question. So give me one second here. Uh, okay, so this one is is somewhat interesting. So the Orachayim writes, the reason Moshe uses the name El, which is they're using with a kuf here so you can um, print it and then throw it away, for God was that um, Moshe realized that the attribute of justice was being used, right? That, that this, was, this was not just... Um, Elohim, right? This wasn't just kind of an, an impersonal God, but this was a God that actually understood how to use justice in the way that God was relating to the people or the person. Um, so by invoking the attribute El, Moshe, by using that word for God, for God's name, Moshe hoped to counterbalance the attribute of justice with the attribute of loving kindness. So there is some kind of understanding here that you're using that part of God, not that part of God, right? Which obviously as, as parents or as teachers or as leaders, we understand you can't really do that as a human, but maybe as God, you're getting a different version of God based on the way that you call out. So when Moshe prayed, he was hoping that the God that he was going to receive was one that had both justice and loving kindness, not one that was just going to be avengeful. Um, okay, Denise, and then Mike, and then if Rabbi Shapiro has anything to say, he, we can go back to him. Well, is it possible that the assumption is that maybe God understood that the whole crew was corrupted and yeah. that it wasn't just one guy? Sure, yeah, totally. I don't think that's the story. I think I, I think the way that we would read it today, right? If we're going to actually bring it into mod- modern day, um, which obviously is is not really the case, but um, especially with the news of this past week, right? If we're to look at how leaders 
influence other people, right? Yeah, sure. They probably had, you know, they were probably guilty for something. And at the same time, uh, was it, was it still right for them to all be punished when if Korach had been out of the picture, they wouldn't have chosen to do the actions that they, that they were influenced to do. So obviously I don't have a good answer to that because that's not the way the story goes. Um, but, uh, but that it, but yes, for sure what you're saying is, is exactly right. And that's, I think the way that we read it, that's, that was why I brought up earlier that made then people go back to that other verse <laughs> that I wonder if, if what Korach actually did was so terrible, the question that Korach asked, I should say, was so terrible um, that that it led to all of this downfall of all of these people who are then going to be swallowed up by the earth. Sorry for the uh, spoiler alert if you hadn't read the rest of the story. Uh, Mike, go ahead. I'm, I'm just wondering whether it's uh, this sort of question, you know, the even in the commentaries that you showed, it's not so clear cut. And, right. uh, and so... Maybe um, it, could it be that it's telling us that uh, that we each could have a Korach and a, and a Moshe in a, inside of us, and is an argument back and forth, and one has to be the one has to aspire in some way to be the Moshe part and not the Korach part. In other words, the the, uh, the, to be the the, the uh, humble instead of the arrogant, to be the uh, to be the uh, selfless instead of the selfish. Yeah, I think not only could they, I think we do, right? I think each one of us has the capacity and has in life been both the Moshe slash Aaron or the Korah, right? There. You don't have to be a leader of a community or or in government or, you know, the principal as opposed to the teacher to know that as soon as you're given a, an ounce of power, whether that's in your own family or in front of others, to know that there are multiple times you have to decide, am I going to do it this way or am I going to do it that way? And therefore, you, you either go the Moshe route or the Korach route. Now, again, spoiler alert, Moshe isn't such a great leader next week when he hits the rock. Right. So there are also moments where Korach, I mean, so where Moshe potentially has a little bit of Korach in him. Right. Like there every leader has flaws. It's just a matter of, you know, do your flaws then completely take you over in such a way that you end up being not such a great leader. Right. Humans. Right. We just we have different sides of our brains that allow us to make good decisions, bad decisions, um, you know, decisions without thought behind them, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and I guess I would just take it one step further to say, not if, but, but when <laughs> we have Korach and Moshe as, as um, both sides of our, of our abilities. Um, Rabbi Shapiro either doesn't agree with anything that any of us have just said, or has nothing else to say, but he's making faces. So I'll turn it over to him. I think it's a little one-sided to say it's as simple as it's just up to individuals exclusively. Um, what is up to individuals exclusively? Just, just that, that there's a lot leaning on, uh, like, why, why would God uh, put responsibility on all these people instead of just on the person who? I mean, I'm, I'm pushing back against 
like what Moses and Aaron say in the verse that that we look at a little bit and some of what's being asserted because the the quote that's coming to mind for me is um the quote from Heschel, you know, in a in a free society, some are guilty and all are responsible. Um and yes, we we should be judged on our own merits. We should be judged as individuals. We each make choices. And my choices are not yours and vice versa. And we live in a context that's about more than just us, right? We're part of a, a larger fabric and the way in which we conduct ourselves and the people with whom we build relationships and sustain relationships and, and, and all of, all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's not as cut and dried as just, well, I made my choices and, and, and you, and you made yours. Right. Um, so I don't think that means that, you know, people should be smote arbitrarily if they, you know, hung out with the, with the wrong crew, you know, one, one wild Tuesday night or whatever it was, but, one wild, two, one wild Tuesday night that it, um, and we're accountable to more than just our our own ind- individual actions in a vacuum. I, th- I think I think there's that too. So I, j- I just think it's a it's a little more um, nuanced than just well we should each be judged on our own merits, right? Like the whatever whatever you feel about how things are going in the world right now, it's not as simple as just, well, it's individual people making individual choices, right? We have responsibility for each other. And part of the, um, what, what I think has been challenging for folks over the past couple of weeks is how we're, we're seeing, you know, how, how deeply connected we, what we all are to larger pieces that are happening in the world and the challenge of responding to what's happening around us when it's not just about us. So that's why I was gazing into the internet void. And I still am, as we all are. Do you have any other uh, commentaries you wanted to bring? Do you have a response? Do you have a response? Do you have a response to that thought before I bring something else? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's so opposing um, what was being said. I just think that I think it has to be, there has to be a balance, right? We have to both take our own responsibility for things and also not get caught up in something that is going to affect the way that we make decisions. So yeah, I I agree. I, I guess where I would disagree is to say that we have to, we have to um, rely on God to be part of that. Because again, I don't believe modern day and a God who's, who's using God's hand to, to move pieces around to help those things either succeed or, or, um, or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, gen- I generally agree with what you are saying. I think it's just a balancing act. It's hard to know what you're thinking when we can't see you. So I, I don't know what you're. <laughs> Can I say, could I say something? Yeah. I'm just wondering if, you know, I understand what Rabbi Shapiro is saying, but but when, you know, if you think about what's been happening and you think that if more people would have exercised at a personal level their Moshe part and not their Korach part, yeah, then maybe in the end you could have not you you could have not had a had a uh, pulling at the steering wheel kind of moment or whatever you want to call it or you know you just never know i mean 
And uh, I mean, if you get my gist. Uh, yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, so I mean, uh, so it, it, it just, so I appreciate sort of the balance thing and I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure because uh, in the end we each have so little control over anything that that the only thing we can possibly exercise control over is our own behavior or our own Korach yeah. tendency. Well, interest, interestingly, to, to go back to the verses that we didn't prepare for today, um, if, we look, if we look at those verses and we do plant them on what's going on in our world today, specifically our country, though there's a lot going on in Israel as well by way of, of all of this, um, we would actually hope that, I shouldn't say we, I would actually hope that more of us could be like Korach right now, <laughs> because there are ways in which what Korach did, though we side in our story in the Torah with Moshe, if we didn't side with Moshe in this story, we would want to be Korach because he's actually standing up for what he believes in and a type of leadership that he wants for his people. Don't give me that face. That's exactly what he does. He says it in his words. But but that the idea of of looking at this story as, you know, we're on the Moshe side. And so we don't like the fact that Korah comes to Moshe and Aaron and says, how can you be leading the country this way? How can you, you know, as a person in such high leadership, be taking kind of these privileges? If we put it on its head and we get rid of the Moshe and Korah characters and we think about what's going on right now, I, I think many of us, though, though potentially not all of us, which is okay, many of us would say, well, let's find a group of people that can go up against the type of leadership and um, and decisions that are being made because we have questions as to, A, why they're being made and want decisions to be made differently around them. So I think that's just in general, how, how we feel about leadership, right? You're always, and Mike, you said this before, like you're either going to be the Moshe or the Korach in any given situation. It just, it's just a matter of, of kind of what's on, what's on the docket, right? What's coming across the table and which side you're going to find yourself on. But I guess to go back to what I was saying before, I'm not sure we tell the story as Korach as the bad guy, because that's the outcome for our story that makes the most sense. Um, and I think if we weren't to know the outcome of Korach or see God um, as the one who kind of creates that outcome, I'm not sure that like good and bad could be put on on either side of the story. Uh, Nancy, go ahead. Yeah, I guess that's what bothers me a lot about this story is that it's it if you read it, it's almost like saying you can't ever question authority. Right. And, you know, definitely that's what we should do. But. It, the way in which you do it is is right the important part so you know you need to do it not with a gang of people that's you know being whatever totally violent but but you should be able to ask those questions in what we would say would be a civil way and still ask i mean yes moshe you know was able to speak to god and that's what made him special but yeah. It, you know, like you sh- should still be able to ask a question and get an answer. So, yeah, I right, one hundred percent agree. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's the way in which, I mean, Denise brought this up before. It's the way in which it's done. It's not the fact that it should be done or, or can't be done. And, that, and Mike was talking about that also, like the Lilashem Shemaim or, right, the, the idea that we as people are able to actually do it, do it on earth as well. Uh, Ravish Bear, did you want to say something before Denise? You seem to have a reaction. Oh, okay. Uh, Denise, go ahead. Okay. So I feel like, that's not what happened here <clears throat> because, <clears throat> sorry, I have a very scratchy throat. Um, I, I don't think Korah's questions were sincere. Mm. And I, I don't think Korah's approach was sincere. And I think that's the whole problem, you know, mm. is it was all about ego. And I feel like this is a story that says, you know, watch out for people who are flashy and all about ego mm-hmm. because, because he didn't come with any ideas. Yeah. And the yeah. only, you know, it was like, it wasn't really a question. It was kind of a territorial piss in the form of a question, mm. but it wasn't a real question. It wasn't an actual inquiry mm-hmm. with reflexivity where he was open to an answer and had an open heart. It was like laying yeah. down a gauntlet and that's not the same thing. Right. I mean, it it is the same thing if we want to say that people should have the ability to ask questions, but but That's similar not a sincere to- question. If yes, everyone should have the ability to ask questions. But yeah. does that mean that everybody also has should have the ability to insert their ego and gaslight you into thinking it's a question when it's really not? Mm. Yeah, and interesting. That's kind I mean, of I what think- bothers me about it. Yeah, I th- you're definitely right that Korok doesn't doesn't go about it the right way. I think. Um, I think in terms of us imagining, you know, what the, what the more, again, it's hard to imagine this because this isn't the story, <laughs> but what, what could have happened had, had he decided that he was going to go about it in such a way that as you're pointing out, he could have had suggestions. He could have tried to partner with Moshe and Aaron as opposed to just going up against him. Right. Because I don't feel like this is about the method. I feel like right. the method reveals what was really about. Sure, it's sure. not like he was like a good guy who just got it wrong. Like he just got carried away or, you know, he didn't plan or something. He wasn't a good guy. He was, you know, he was like, he was just an ego guy. And, you know, like people were making January 6 references. Like that's what happens, you know, when there's an ego. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, and then I'll let Raj Shapiro close it out. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I think that, that in general, in general, we can't, we can't judge a person until we see their true colors, right? And I think that what you're claiming is is true in that we um, we see Korach as not a good guy based on based on these true colors that we see. Um, we don't know everything about his character before um, he's then swallowed up by the earth, but uh, but there is something there there is something to gaining from this story the understanding that there's a way to do things that that allows us to still have that ability to engage with our leaders, right? If you do it the way that Korach did, you'll see whether from Torah or in general, there's punishment and probably a deaf ear. Um, but if you do it in such a way that you that you want to try to find partnership or listening or understanding or, you know, sitting with someone who's across the aisle from you and really wanting to just hear from them as opposed to already trying to be combative, that, that is a very different approach than the one that Korach takes. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to, that'll be my last word, but I'm going to turn it over to Rabbi Shapiro um, to, uh, to close out for us. I wanted to hear what Joanna, Joanna can be quick. I'm cu- I always want to hear what you have to say. I, I have to, I'm going to um, 
I'm, I'm going to go. You're all lovely. I just have a 12 o'clock meeting. Um, we will. Bye-bye Schatz is never going to know how I close out our Parsha class. Oh, that's very exciting. The recording is on my Zoom, so I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to go back uh, and listen to it. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Hope to see you. Shabbat shalom. She has faith in you, Rabbi Shapiro. She knows you won't let her down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Joanna, go ahead. Um, so in a very timely reference, um, in Rabbi Klickfeld's Rashi class, we're studying, um, we're up to Shmot chapter five, which is when Paro makes um, the life of the slaves much more difficult because he withdraws providing them with straw. And now they have to manufacture the straw themselves, in addition to making the bricks as they always had with the straw that they had been given. And in that chapter, there is um, a verse that says that um, some of the Hebrew overseers came to complain to Moshe about their situation. And Rashi says that two of them were Datan and Aviram. So and connects it to some language that's similar both in that chapter and later in this one. And um, so then, you know, that also casts a light on this that, you know, this isn't the first time that Datan and Aviram are coming forward to complain. And perhaps a quality of leadership is who you are in tough times. Like, you know, do you go to problem solve this new situation with Moshe or do you go to call out against him about why is he rising up against Paro? You know, our life was better before you came on the scene. Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, it's interesting to have that connection, although it's always fun to see like midrashically how the rabbis connect different pieces back to each other. Um, There's definitely... That, that pulled me in a different direction from how I was going to close things out. Joanna, I was, I was counting on you to, to give me a lob for this land, but, um, but I appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad that we lined up nicely with Rabbi Klickfeld. Rosh next Rosh time, Rosh. send me a private text. And next time, right. I'll like message. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, stat to that. I'm going to say, cause we're, we're past time, but there are two more thoughts I want to toss out there. One, um, I, I think I'm more team Denise than, than, uh, team shots in terms of the sense of Korach generally in terms of like I've been saying a couple of times that it's not just what you say it's how you how you say it I was going to needle shots she's not here but I'll I'll do it anyway it's fascinating to me that given as we established earlier in the class what a rule follower she is that she's such a Korach fan uh, I'll, I'll take that up with her uh, one-on-one. But that, that, that's very interesting to me. Um, because I also think in terms of Moshe's leadership, I don't think Moshe has a problem with questions to his leadership. Just a couple of weeks ago, when the people were prophesizing in the camp and two of them were still, Eldad and Medad, were still having prophecy. And Joshua ran to Moses and said, hey, these people are still experiencing prophecy. Moses said, if only all of God's people were prophets. So I don't think in the context of the narrative, I don't see Moshe as having a problem with the sense that it's not necessarily just about him, but that there is a larger context. And it's a question of how is the leadership being called into question, whether then whether leadership should be called into question. I don't think he's a problem with with leadership being called into question. I think it's, it's a matter of what's the process through which that's explored. Now we can also have a conversation about at what point is the process for leadership being explored insufficient? And then how do you approach that? 
Uh, we'll talk about that next week. Just kidding. We don't have class next week. So we can talk about that later. Um, the last thing, um, yeah, and Joanna, to your point, right? Moshe, Moshe does respond to leadership advice, although he needs to get that advice multiple times, right? He's told back in Yitro, you should bring folks in, and then also needs to be told again, hey, you should bring folks in. Um, but we don't necessarily learn our lessons the first time. Sometimes it takes effort, which is part of what I'm talking about in Library Minion tomorrow. Last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll wrap up. Um, the, somebody mentioned, it was, it was a few comments ago, but this idea about like what's, what's the role of the individual and, and um, is, it, is it sufficient for what just one person can do and grappling with that. Um, I'll, I'll introduce the concept of powerlessness. Which, which is not something that we necessarily like hearing about um, because it can feel uncomfortable. And I think that's part of what makes it so important. Serenity prayer, right? God grant me serenity to accept things that cannot change the courage, things I can and the wisdom know the difference. The truth of the matter is there's actually very little in the world that I control. I wish I controlled more, but I don't. Um, and I think that that's part of what's been feeling particularly uncomfortable these past few weeks with the news cycle uh, so rapidly spinning and turning. Um, but there's also something very liberating and freeing about that, if I can really click into that. And by having a sense of what is and isn't in my control, that's actually then empowering in terms of knowing what is within my control. Because if I don't have a clear sense of that, I might spend a lot of time and energy invested in things that I want to control but don't. Or I can say, all right, here's what's within my control. I'm going to invest as much time and energy in that as I can, because that's actually within my purview. And I think that that's part of the dance in terms of what Korach pushes, right? Pushes too far in that regard. And then going back to the verse that we were hypothetically talking about that we didn't actually talk about, what Moshe and Aaron then do is they do what's within their control by praying and also there's a couple of commentaries that talk about by prostrating themselves, by falling forward, that's also them surrendering. That's also them letting go. Um, and I think that that's a really tough dance. I, I think it's a really tough balance to strike in terms of what is and isn't within our control. But I think ultimately when I'm able to do that, when we each do that reflective process, that brings us more likely to be on the Moshe side of things that each one of us contains within in the Korach side of things. And so with that... Yeah, Podcast I, I, listeners and friends on Zoom, we bid you a fond lahitraot. We will see you in and around the building and on Zoom soon, I am sure. Thanks for hanging out, folks. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.